Whoever is listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Man. This is the Man with a Plan podcast, episode 38. Guys, thank you always so much for that support that you continue to pour on this podcast. It is unreal. We are five subscribers away from 100 on YouTube, one of our many platforms that we are on, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, PodBay, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's unreal to see that it is really spread out so much. It's just honestly crazy. I don't have a lot of words to describe it. I just want to continue to tell you guys before each episode, thank you. You guys make what all this possible. You guys make it possible. and It's really just a blessing. I have Every time I talk about just what we've achieved together as a community, as a group, it's so much fun to talk about, so much fun to watch and see how it's progressed. You guys are the reason we're here. So today we're going to talk about a multitude of things. I want to start with the NBA playoffs, Atlanta and Phoenix, why I think they're the perfect finals matchup, and I've kind of abandoned my Bucks pick for now. I might change my mind as the week progresses, and we'll talk about Atlanta and Milwaukee, why this interesting Eastern Conference Finals matchup, maybe more than you think, and it'll be very quick because I have a lot of football stuff we want to get into. I want to talk about Clemson because I saw an interesting stat that I'm going to talk to you guys about. Then we're going to talk about Stafford and McVay, and then Brady's free agent comments. You're sticking with that mother blank. We'll talk about that. So I want to start with the NBA playoffs. Obviously, we've talked about Game 7s. We've talked about Phoenix, we've talked about Atlanta. So I was watching Atlanta, Milwaukee last night, and I've been watching a couple of YouTube videos. I like to see what other people are saying, what they're thinking. And with Atlanta, and I think this is what I've thought, and a lot of people think, is that the last and the final four, there's LA, there's Phoenix, there's Milwaukee, and there's Atlanta. And to me, the two best teams remaining on paper would be the Clippers and the Bucks. But I think as these series have progressed, I've kind of changed my mind because the Clippers, I was thinking Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Ivan Zubak, Terrence Mann, and then the Milwaukee, it's Chris Middleton, Giannis, the two-time MVP, Andrew Holiday, which is just crazy. And then you add Brooke Lopez and PJ Tucker, you're like, okay, this is obviously on paper a championship team. And I started to think, after beating the Nets, there's no way that Atlanta is able to challenge this team. The Nets have essentially put themselves in a position to be the best team at basketball if they were healthy. A lot would argue they would have won the championship and the Bucks took them down. With no LeBron, no AD, it seems like Milwaukee was the team to beat. And then Atlanta again surprised me last night. Trey Young did something that I really didn't expect, which was drop 48 points after a horrendous Game 7 where he was essentially needed his teammates to carry. He needs teammates to shoulder the load. Kevin, playoff Kevin, <laughs> I didn't imagine him. Evan Herter, that's really the pronunciation, I always muck it up, but he dropped 25 points, beat the 76ers, and last night it was Trey Young carrying that load, being that guy, and something I also noticed is that when I compare Atlanta and Phoenix, the other two teams that I didn't mention, is how well they complement each other, because they all know their roles, they all know their assignments, they all know what is coming and what they need to do. For Booker, it's he's the scorer. For Aiton, he's the guy that stays by the paint gets those boards, gets those tough shots. He's the intimidator. McCall Bridges, Chris Paul. Chris Paul's a distributor. McCall Bridges gets his shots when he needs to. Atlanta, John Collins, he's the lob guy. Good on defense, makes an occasional three. Trey Young is the all-around scorer. And the other guys just compliment him. I think I talked to one of my friends last night, who's a big Hawks fan, is that Atlanta really complements each other well, and so does Phoenix. Is why 
if Atlanta and Phoenix play each other in the finals, I think it would be really nice, really fantastic to see that progress and see that unfold because it's two really smart coaches in Monty Williams and Nate McMillan try to out-coach one another because I think out of the rest of the playoffs, I think Budenholzer's not really that great of a coach. Adam Shine famously called him a sock puppet last night, which was great to see. I really want to see Phoenix and Atlanta in the finals because I think they complement each other the most, and I think that'd be a fun matchup to watch unfold and take over. I love watching Trey Young. I love watching Devin Booker. I love watching Giannis, too. And I think I said in earlier podcasts that I think the Bucks and the 76ers would be the Eastern Conference Finals matchup. I was half right. I thought that this would be the 76ers' year to be the team, but it's clear that the process is no longer, and Ben Simmons is probably going to get shipped out if I had to make a prediction. Free agency's coming up. That'll be fun. So I saw a stat yesterday. Somebody DM'd me a stat from Tiger Talk 24-7, and it said that 72% of NFL rosters have at least one or more former Clemson Tigers on their roster. And I know for the non-Clemson people, bear with me, this is about to be six, seven, eight minutes of just you rolling your eyes, but it really got me thinking. And he mentioned something next that followed up, and it was very interesting. He said, this is more like USC in 2006. It reminded him of that. So to my older audience, you guys remember 2005, it was Texas and USC. They were the talk of college football. Vince Young, the Heisman Trophy winner. Reggie Bush, the former Heisman Trophy winner. Matt Leiner, Heisman Trophy runner-up. A lot of Heisman Trophy stuff you're throwing out there. Pete Carroll. You have Mac Brown. You have a lot of personalities. Matthew McConaughey on the sidelines. Snoop Dogg on the sidelines. They had a whole 30 for 30 on this one game. In 2006, USC and Texas, they were the teams bringing in that NFL talent. Vince Young would win Rookie of the Year. Reggie Bush would go on to win a Super Bowl with the Saints. Matt Leinert, while his NFL career didn't pan out, he was the first-round draft pick to the Arizona Cardinals. So why am I talking about USC in this light, and why did I bring up that stat with Clemson? I, in, when I grew up with college football, there were only a couple teams that really resonated with me as teams that brought NFL talent consistently. It was Georgia, it was Alabama, and it was Ohio State. Never really did it occur to me that a small town in Clemson would ever take over and become this massive college football program. Because when I was like 10, 11, 12, there was this term that people used to throw around called Clemsoning. With the Dabo Sweeney early years, there was a lot of uncertainty on how it was going to form into a program. Because I think for Sweeney, it was never him being a coach himself. It was about building a program. He's a guy that builds a culture. He's a guy that can get the right people around him and right people around him for his message. He's consistent with his tone. He's consistent with what he does. And I think getting the right staff is what eventually put Clemson over the top. And what keeps them on the top today is that Dabo knows how to treat his assistants. He knows how to keep his guys in this family-like atmosphere. They have slides. They have these top-notch facilities. Clemson's evolved so much in these last 10 years. And especially being a student there now, seeing how when I was taking my sister to college when I was in middle school, moving her into Clemson, it is night and day on how different it looks. It is insane. And I think how did we get here is something that I really wanted to touch base on and figure out because when he sent me that DM, I was thinking, wow, that's crazy because now I'm just, it's so numb to me because I'm so used to the fact that, oh, Trevor Lawrence is going to go first overall. Oh, Travis is another first round pick or Cleon Farrell is going to go to the Raiders at four. Oh, there's a fourth round gem with Hunter Renfro. Well, if you'd watched more Clemson games, you would have seen that he is 
what many NFL teams are looking for, that third down guy that can beat the zone. I could talk about Hunter Renfro all day. If Hunter, you're listening to this podcast, if you want to come on for an interview, I would love to have you on and many others. But I think with Clemson is that they gave that chance to Dambo to build a program, build a culture. And especially with Oakland, they were, I guess, Oakland at the time, they're Las Vegas now. It was building that culture that Clemson created, this family atmosphere, team first, putting the player behind the organization, putting the organization first and foremost, and it made this domino effect. And I want to take you guys back to this domino effect. I was 10, 12 in that age range, and I went to my first Clemson football game that I can vividly remember. It was Clemson versus LSU, and on the other side, you had NFL talent across the board. You had Odell Beckham. You had Jarvis Landry. You had a former NFL QB, Zach Mettenberger. I think Jeremy, I think Jeremy, he was running back for the Bengals, and that's not Joe Mixon. I think it was, uh, ah, it's not Jeremy Lin because I was a basketball player, but I think it was Jeremy Hill. There we go. Jeremy Hill was the running back for the, the LSU Tigers, and on the other side was a quarterback named Taj Boyd, and Taj Boyd had to shoulder a lot of this responsibility that he really didn't know was on his shoulders. That sounds really loaded and complicated, but I'll explain. Clemson at the time wasn't a program that was expected to win national championships. They had expectations, sure, but it was going to be the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, Oklahoma every now and then. Ten wins for Clemson was a success. And you had players like DeAndre Hopkins. You had players like Sammy Watkins, who were really fascinating players to watch and really see that progression grow. Martavis Bryant, his NFL career didn't pan out the way we wanted it to, but he was so good as a third option for Clemson. Stekinger, Stanton Seconder for the Clemson Tigers too. Former Porter Gout alum, if he's listening to this, shout out to you. So many good Clemson players, so many just good that fit the program. Not a lot of NFL talent as of yet. You had Hopkins and Watkins going the first round, but you had nothing that really stood out. And as Clemson started to beat these caliber teams that were sending out these NFL players, you start to bolster and see that NFL talent from Clemson really come. It's not the culture, that it's not the the, the coach Dabo Sweeney that made the players who they are. He didn't coach them up in any specific way. It was this culture that bought in this team first, this organization first, that really created a domino effect. They started to buy into each other. They started to buy into this program. And I think what made Clemson football so special early on, before they became the loudmouth villain that everyone wants to claim them as, because now I guess we're in that same category as Bama, everybody hates on success type deal. That domino effect of beating Ohio State in the Orange Bowl, beating LSU in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, created this domino effect of NFL players. People started to pay attention. And when people started to pay attention, recruits started to pay attention. And a lot of things started to unravel and have this major effect. And now Clemson's in the talks of number one program every year, number one recruiting class every year. I don't think in my dad's lifetime when he was going to Clemson, did he think Clemson would be this way. My older audience that's listening, comment below or text me or message me. Did you think Clemson would be what it is today when you started watching Clemson football? Because when I was 12, the biggest game of my was Clemson's career was the Clemson-Florida State game where we got absolutely bulldozed. It was 53 to nothing or something like that. It was bad. Jameis Winston famously went into Death Valley and made Clemson look so silly. It was absolutely terrible. It's almost as bad as this car driving by. That's interrupting the show, which is just great. But overall, I just wanted to talk about Clemson's NFL takeover and how significant it was to me and how significant I think that percentage is. 72% of the entire NFL has one Clemson Tiger on their team's roster. So 
out of the 32 teams, there's 23 teams with at least one Clemson football player on it. And I think that's special and something to be recognized. So another thing that I see, I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of sports. I watch a, I watch a lot of talk show hosts and I get a lot of, I only get a lot of stuff for it saying you watch a lot of sports. You might want to like chill for a bit. I like to see what other people are saying. I like to study. I feel like me watching first things first on 7 a.m. in the morning or Undisputed or Colin Cowherd or listening to Strong Opinion Sports with Jack, Zach Schalmer, stuff like that. It makes me see what other people are saying and then can I form a take opposite? Do I agree with them? What are they saying? What are they picking up on? Where are they getting their research? And Colin had an interesting topic about Stafford and McVay. And it made me think about just how insane it is that Matthew Stafford, a quarterback that's been on the Detroit Lions for 12 years, it's been a long time, he's been in literal football hell, and he finally gets his escape and is traded to the LA Rams. I think it's something to note how enthusiastic McVay has been over this process. Sean McVay is ecstatic. There's a lot of quotes that have been thrown around like, this is the best QB I've ever seen, the way he throws the ball, his leadership, his talent. I think McVay has never had a QB like this. And I think the other side of that argument is, is what does it make of Jared Goff? Because you had a revitalized offense. Jared Goff under his first year under Jeff Fisher, he was not very good. A lot of questions. And McVay turned Goff into a solid Pro Bowl quarterback. So the next question was, where can they take that next step? And they ended up going to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl where they ended up scoring only three points against the New England Patriots, which is kind of disappointing with a McVay offense. Belichick was able to outcoach him and expose Goff for what he was, which is at best an average QB. But then they made another run this year. They almost took down the Green Bay Packers with Jared Goff hurt. They needed that next step. They needed the next piece. So they shipped off Jared Goff to Detroit and they got Matthew Stafford in return. And I started to think, what does this make LA? And I think a lot of people either said Stafford's not that good, he's not a winner, he was on an empty team, putting up empty stats. I like LA. I like LA a lot. I think the Rams have a really great shot to be able to challenge Tampa Bay this year. While they might not win in that first year, I think an NFC Championship's not too far-fetched of a prediction. LA's always going to have a fantastic defense. Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd... They're going to make plays. Jalen Ramsey's going to be blocking down that number one receiver. And now on the other side of the football, McVay has a quarterback that's been super athletic, super tough, tough as nails. I mean, everyone's seen that clip where he plays the Cleveland Browns his rookie year and he separates his shoulder, goes off the sidelines, and then comes back. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. He says some other things that I can't repeat. And then he throws a game-winning touchdown. I've never seen anything like that. It's not only ballsy. It's just so insane. I think when I stub my toe on the table, I'm like out for two weeks. It's that bad. I like LA as an NFC West favorite because I think the Seahawks, they had a lot of problems this offseason. There've been a lot of things that said Russell Wilson's fine. I don't trust it. San Francisco is going to have a tough year because I think Kyle Shanahan's going to try to start to implement Trey Lance in that offense. And I think that dual QB thing is dangerous because you saw what happened with Tua and the Dolphins and Fitzpatrick. Some of it just doesn't work out. The Cardinals, I think, are, and I really want to talk about Cliff Kingsbury as a whole, I think he's an overrated head coach. I think that he has an offense that's creative and it's smart, but it only lasts a couple weeks. It's not full of substance. I like LA. I think McVay has every right to be enthusiastic. I hope Goff does well in Detroit. 
I think it doesn't look good for Jared Goff that McVay is so excited and won't stop talking about it. It's like that down bad meme. So when I return, I want to talk about Tom Brady's comments and what made his free agency so special. You're sticking with that mother blank. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back. Guys, this is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 38. If you've skipped to this way to find the Tom Brady comments, you've missed a Clemson NFL takeover. Why it's so significant and why we had to go through it. Stafford McVay, their relationship in the Rams overall, and some NBA playoff talk in the beginning. So, guys, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to, please consider subscribing. It only takes a second. It's free. There's no hassle. There's no annoying emails and spam in your inbox. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, consider leaving us a five-star review to let us know you're enjoying what you're listening to. So, usually I feel stars that are that good, usually with Brady, it was always him being quiet. There's either, there's two types of superstars. There's quiet superstars, and there's the stars that are loud, that have an ego, rightfully so. And so it's so funny and so rare when we see Tom Brady go on this really t- really odd TV show for him, not because it's some barbershop show or whatever, but it's just because you never saw that with Tom Brady in New England. You never saw him doing these TV shows on produced by LeBron James or whatever. He was always kind of reserved, working on his craft. Florida Tom Brady is certainly more entertaining, certainly different. And they were talking about his free agency, and he said, you're sticking with that MFR. And I really wanted to know who it was. I haven't seen the episode. I really actually want to watch it and see what he said. If he gave any other details, it was like a specific team. I don't think it's the 49ers because Garoppolo had just been recently moved from the Super Bowl. Tennessee is the team that beat him. I saw Chicago being thrown out there. A lot of interesting stuff was talked about with Tom Brady. And I wanted to dive into it deeper. I wanted to talk about what made Tom Brady's free agency so special. And I think it's so special because not many teams were really that interested in Tom Brady's services. There was about four. If I was a GM and Tom Brady was a free agent, I would be calling people. I would be trying to get people to be aware of this. Say, hey, Tom Brady's a free agent. We need to get on this now. We need to get a meeting set up, a PowerPoint presentation, players, celebrities, whatever you can get to Tom Brady on the team because he is special. Only four teams saw this. San Francisco, LA, Tennessee, it was, yeah, the Chargers, because that's the app. Okay, we're good. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were so unique, because for years, they were teams that really didn't know how to win. They had Jameis Winston, a young, inexperienced QB that was reckless with the ball, threw a lot of interceptions, caused a lot of chaos. Their defense had to do a lot of the work for him. And you know what Bucan- the Buccaneers remind me of and Tom Brady's team? It reminds me of what the Suns are right now. Both teams with their leaders and Tom Brady and Chris Paul both teams before, and then we look at them after, before there were teams that were undisciplined, they didn't know how to win, the chemistry was a little so-so, they had special players and special talent, but they didn't know how to put it all together, they didn't complement each other just yet. So you had somebody like Chris Paul and Tom Brady who've been cast aside, and not a lot of people really wanted them because they're older, their games might be out of style, they're flawed. But you have a team that puts their faith in the old veteran, and something magical happens. 
suddenly out of nowhere, Tampa Bay is a 13-11 win team in the playoffs, making this giant run. Out of nowhere, Phoenix, who would just come off a winning streak in the bubble, is it a fluke? We don't know. Top seed in the second top seed in the West, best record overall left in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference Finals, looking to win their first ever NBA championship, Chris Paul's first ever NBA championship. A lot of these guys had never been in the playoffs before, and night in and night out, they continue to play like they've been there before. With Tampa Bay, I always thought, who was going to be that guy? There's so many mouths to feed. I forgot because Tom Brady is that sailor, that captain, that can keep the ship going in the direction that it needs to go. He's that guy. He's that consistency. I didn't see it until I started writing down notes for this episode, thinking, wow, Tom Brady and Chris Paul's teams are a lot more similar than I thought. Because Chris Paul and Tom Brady, they're both very similar leaders. They have very similar leadership styles. They, they're demanding. They get what they want. They're winners. Not a lot of people really think that they can be like Tom Brady or Chris Paul, not necessarily agree with that leadership style. Who They're demanding. They're tough on the players. They're like a Michael Jordan who is really demanding on his players, really demanding on his team for success because that's what it takes. We don't need a guy who's going to lollygag around and be lazy. We need people who are committed and want to win. And a lot of people, a lot of young players on the Phoenix Suns and a lot of young players on Tampa Bay really bought into this new style of leadership, this new style to play, this new way of we're not going to go 7-9 anymore. We're not going to settle for a lottery pick in the NBA draft. We're going to go out there and we're going to win. And in their first years each, they take what is a already pretty solid roster and add that last piece, that leadership. That leadership is so important nowadays. You could be the best player in the world and not be a great leader, and the teams just fall apart. Tom Brady and Chris Paul, they are those guys, that missing piece. You've seen it with Chris Paul before. Houston, the Rockets with James Harden. James Harden's not really a leadership-style guy. Almost takes down a potential dynasty with Golden State. Chris Paul goes to a Thunder team with a lot of young players. They're trying to tank. Chris Paul wants to win. Fifth seed in the playoffs. Almost beat the Rockets in the bubble. Chris Paul then traded to the Suns. The Suns didn't make the playoffs last year. They were close, but no cigar. Get to the playoffs. Second seed in the West. Eastern Conference Finals. Tampa Bay. 7-9, then 11-5. Super Bowl champions. Can the Suns be that team also to close out Everything. Because similarly to the Bucks, they had a lot of obstacles. The Suns had to play LeBron and AD in the first round. They had to play the MVP in Nikola Jokic. Tom Brady had to beat the MVP in Aaron Rodgers. They had to go take down Washington, a solid football team. They had to take down the Saints, the former NFC South champions, the team that was the big dogs in the league for now. And Tampa Bay came in and finished them off. The Suns are similar to the Buccaneers in that Both teams needed that final piece, and that's what makes Tom Brady's free agency so special to me, and that stick with the MFR because he knows that if he can get on a certain team, he can make them winners. He can make them a Super Bowl winning team. He is that missing piece. He believes in himself so much, he knows he's that guy. Chris Paul knows he's that guy. If I go to any team, I can make them winners, and that's what's so special about these two guys and why I'm rooting for Chris Paul along the way to get his first ring because I think he, A, Deserves it. He's been cast aside so many times. So much bad luck. The Clippers gets traded, gets traded, gets traded. I think Chris Paul has found his home and found a suitable spot. I think the Suns take it in five. I think Tampa Bay is going to probably have a great shot to repeat because their leadership styles, their way of playing it, their mentality is what's going to overcome all odds. So guys, that was the Man with a Plan podcast episode 38. 
I hope you guys enjoyed our NBA playoff talk, Clemson's takeover in the NFL, Stafford and Sean McVay, and why Chris Paul and Tom Brady are more similar than you think. Guys, as always, thank you so much for watching. This was episode 38 of the Man With Plan podcast. We are on Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. Guys, it would really mean a lot if you would support the show. Spread this podcast to your friends and family. Have a great week, and wherever you're listening, take care. Thank you.